Hey everybody and welcome. You are listening to Lux Louise Locker Room. Join me each episode with a different special guest. We'll be breaking the locks off toxic masculinity one locker at a time. This week I'm joined by the trailblazing trio We Free Queers, a queer-based podcast hosted by Carrot, Syro and Flick. Today, me and the gang talk about hidden queer identities, body image in Hollywood and sexiness being subjective. Please note that the conversations between me and my guests are purely based on our own thoughts and experiences. Now with all that in mind, sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome everyone and just before we start, here is a lesson in masculinity 101. During the 19th century, insults and other challenges to the purity of a man's daughters, sisters or wife represented a substantial challenge to his honour. Men have often used ritualised violence to address challenges to their honour, as seen on the Netflix show Bridgerton. Hi everybody and welcome to Locks LaRue's Locker Room. This is a special episode um, for a couple of reasons. One, we're going to be talking about Valentine's Day, love it or hate it. And two, I've got We Free Queers with me. Hi guys. Hello. Hello. Bonjour. <laughs> How are you all today? Very good. <laughs> There we go. We already already screwed up. I'll go first. That yeah, says it all. <laughs> yeah. Just, just plodding along. There's nothing really exciting happening, but yeah, plodding along. Yes, surviving and waiting to get back on a stage, to be honest. I've just done my tax return on the deadline. That's when we're recording this. So I'm feeling devastated because I actually have to pay something to the government this year and I, I'm not happy about it. Boo. Boo. Oh, that, that maybe we can talk about the government in a bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, no. no. <laughs> Trying to cheer people up with this episode. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I thought we could start off then by introducing you all individually. And um, it feels like one of those, like, um, annoying exercises, you know, when you go to, like, drama group. Oh, can you, like, introduce yourself and say... But I was thinking if you could all sort of introduce yourself to the listeners and um, then talk a bit about your backgrounds growing up queer, because I always start the episode off that way, if that makes sense. Um, so who wants to go first, the dreaded... Syro. Syro can go first. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Syro can go first. <laughs> go on. One, I'm Syro. I am a drag king slash thing. Um, I am a non-binary trans mask black goddex. <laughs> I do these explanations. I need to have all like a one-liner, really. I do. <laughs> I grew up um, grew up in Essex, born in Basildon, Bas Vegas. Um, <laughs> sunny, bright. Went to university at East Fifteen in South End. So. Messix person through and through which is really upsetting um and just like the rest of we three queers grew up working class um and growing up queer was well to be honest I was pretty much in the closet I I did get a lot of um Leah's a lesbian jokes throughout high school but I would always cut through that with comedy so I kind of used comedy as um tilting the conversation another way I don't think I ever said I wasn't I just steered the conversation in a different direction um so queerness growing up was very much hidden um 
pushed away. I think when I was pre-teen was the most like I am now. So I've kind of reverted back to my gender expression pre-teen where you don't have society's pressures um, and standards upon you. And it's the best place to be. Release that in a child. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why I always wear pigtails on stage. <laughs> um, I'll go next. Oh, hello. My name is Flick. <laughs> I am um, a gender fluid drag queen with a curly moustache. Um, yeah, I grew up in Suffolk in the countryside um, on the border to Essex. So that's why I have a bit of a weird accent. Um, and yeah, like growing up queer, growing up gay. Uh, well, people used to like, I think it's quite a universal thing with lots of queer people that people always used to tell you that you were queer before you mm-hmm. even knew what it meant to be queer yourself. Like, give me a chance to find out myself before you like start berating me about it. But um, yeah, I just, I just yeah. It was it's quite a um, the area where I grew up. Um, very, like there's no diversity really. There was nothing. It's all just like the same sort of white working class to middle class people. Um, and lots of Tories. Ugh. So um, yeah, and then and then I went to the same drama school as Cyro. Um, so again into Southend, which isn't the most diverse place in the world. So didn't really like fully find and explore not even start really exploring who I was and my identity until I moved to London, um, which was about five, five, six years ago now, wasn't it? Oh God. Um, And yeah, did a lot of like exploration and still to this day, finding out things about me that I didn't know. But um, yeah, kind of similar to Cyro for a lot of the time, it was very like closeted or like fighting against it. And then finally allowed myself to become this mess that uh, people see today. Yeah, that's me. Excellent. Lovely. <laughs> is it my turn? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, my internet's very patchy, so mm-hmm. if I cut out, I'll be keeping an eye on you, so keep moving around. If you freeze, I'll stop speaking, and then I'll um, I'll I'll cut, I'll start from where I left off when it stopped. Um, so I'm carrot. I'm a non-binary <laughs> drag vegetable from space, and I am still on a journey with my gender. I'm definitely a non-binary, gender non-conforming human being, and figuring that out. Um, but. Uh, Yes, so that's where I am in terms of that. And I do drag and I want to do it for a career and I love doing it. Um, And in terms of my growing up, I grew up in a place called Guildford, which is a very sort of boring historic town, halfway between Portsmouth and London. And um, it's in Surrey, which is, Surrey is obviously a very upper class place. I grew up on a council estate with a single mum and my brother. Um, In terms of my queer journey, I don't know. It's like Flick said, you know, um, I spent a lot of my childhood being told I was queer before I even... uh... There we go. Before (laughs) I even understood fully what it was. so I, uh, yeah, so it, 
I, I never had to come out. I've never really come out as anything um, to my family or anything. The only times I've had to come out is in like workplaces. Um, I was never really bullied for being queer, but I was bullied for other reasons. So I think that people always spotted that there was something different about me and decided, you know, a lot of it was I was often bullied for being ginger in my earlier years. And then people started to pick up on the queerness in my later life. And I, um, but by that point, I feel like I developed a bit like Syro, some uh, sort of coping mechanisms or uh, a way to fight back or, you know, developed a bit of a, a tougher skin with it. So it, it affected me less. But yeah, so growing up queer, my mum's my very accepting and it's all good. And I have a trans, my older brother is trans. Um, and so I've just, you know, I've had a few queer role models in my life here and there. Um, and that's me. Well, thank you all for sharing. Um, in terms of me, I think the listeners have already heard this, but I'll just, I'll just tell you guys. Um, because it's interesting, obviously. Um, so I grew up in Stafford, which is a really small town um, near Birmingham. So I used to basically just come to Birmingham all the time. Um, and then a bit like you, Carrot, um, I lived with my mom and brother. So my mom was like a good role model and ally. Um, and then, yeah, um, similar with you guys, people were sort of telling me sort of that I was gay before I sort of knew it, which is annoying, isn't it? Um, but that can sort of come into the conversation um, in a minute um, I just wanted to before we move on to the subject of like body image and Valentine's Day and stuff I just wanted to ask about um, We Free Queers the podcast um, just to give people some context so who wants to sort of um, say how that came about <laughs> I can so yeah flick take the mic on that yeah um well I think like everybody in lockdown we were like well let's just do something like um so it started off as that, really. We wanted to... I don't think that there are enough um, queer podcasts out there. Um, and you don't hear the, um, like, cis people being like, oh, should we do another podcast about football or cis problems? And it's like, I don't know, something boring. So it's like, <laughs> but you, like, so why should we even question it? Um, we us three worked together quite a lot um, in the London um, circuit um, and also in, in, in our theatre careers as well. Um, and we're expanding that in the future. So there's hopefully going to be projects that will, that will come about when we're allowed out again. Um, and we thought that it would be nice to, you know, have like a, a little discussion about our, ourselves, our experiences as queer people. And because and, we work so well together already, it seems like a really sort of natural natural fit and progress to go yeah well I, I love your podcast as you all probably know by now but I kind of feel like um I'm going to take some inspiration from Tia Coffee being a basic bitch uh <laughs> fangirl so <laughs> it's a trend at the minute but um yeah I've really enjoyed your podcast and I think 
it's good about you saying about um queer podcasts and stuff because when I saw that you were releasing it I think it was off Syro's account um I was like yes because obviously I knew Syro and then I recognized you flick and then I was like oh carrot looks cool so I was like oh yes this podcast will be um nice to listen to on my walks to work and um shopping and stuff like that um so um yeah, um, are you ready to talk about the dreaded Valentine's Day then? <laughs> <laughs> um, so with Valentine's Day, I just wanted to bring it back to sort of how have you got any like funny memories from when you were younger, any or traumatic <laughs> memories you can think of? Because um, I'll, I'll start and then I'll let you guys um, talk this out. Um, so with Valentine's Day, I think thinking back to my mom I think my mom and grandma used to get me cards so I kind of wouldn't feel bad about not getting any um I'm still not sure and then I did have a girlfriend at one point um that's another story on its own um and I think there was sort of this expectation of like you know you have to this is well linking it with like toxic masculinity there's this expectation that like the guy has to do like everything you know what I mean that can kind of come in with Valentine's Day, can't it? Um, it's kind of like a, a broad um, topic, really. I, I don't know. Where do you guys want to start? Your feelings of like Valentine's Day, like your um, anything of the past, and then we can move on to like other stuff. <laughs> oh, Valentine's Day! I'm I'm going to bring it up because I think Flick is going to bring up a horrible story from East Fifteen. So, so to set the set the record to keep myself in the closet essentially I was dating white cis straight men for quite some time in long-term relationships all hideous <laughs> <laughs> there's one <laughs> in every way sorry I've never said it um there was one incident incident where um a partner brought me some reduced ham so, oh <laughs> my goodness around <laughs> this massive rumor that we've been using a ham in the bedroom which i still to this day state it was not used in the bedroom it was just some reduced ham so that's about as romantic as it's ever got <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh who said romance was dead just get some reduced ham yeah. <laughs> and have a shag <laughs> It wasn't even ham it was um like german sausage slices reduced i mm. so my um my romantic experience with valentine's day is limited to say the least uh <laughs> <laughs> both my valentine's day since i guess coming out and um coming that that horrible time dating cis straight white men uh, uh has been working in drag actually they've always been like a valentine's day drag gig hosting or um, immersive thing um same with I guess it's the same with many other holidays like Halloween and New Year so I really enjoy actually performing on Valentine's Day because then I get to I'm saying it wrong aren't I it's Valentine's not Valentine's sorry listeners um so I get to spend it usually around friends um and just have a bit of a party but I haven't really experienced the romantic side of it if I'm honest sad <laughs> <laughs> I had I, I kind of relate to you a bit there in terms of I had girlfriends when I was a child in my childhood all through growing up and I think like in school from like middle school and 
even in secondary school, I had girlfriends. I think everyone thought because I liked hanging around girls so much that that meant that I was a bit like I was a ladies man. <laughs> it's like that's there's that uh, and like you mentioned about toxic masculinity. There's that expectation there that if a, a boy and a girl has a friendship, there's obviously some romance there. I mean. And I think I thought that too some of the time. I never fancied any of them, bless them. Um, oh, well, maybe I did, but anyway, that's a different that's a different story. <laughs> uh, but the in terms of Valentine's Day, I think there was always a pressure there. I don't think I ever got them anything. I have no memories of that. The memories I have of Valentine's Day is that I used to I went through a tradition of a few years where I would bake um, cupcakes for all my friends and give them out to my friends on Valentine's Day, which Aww. is cute. And I don't know why I stopped doing it. And I wish I still did it. How cute is that? As I like would... little 15 year old me. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> going to expect them on Valentine's now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, damn it. I shouldn't have said it, should I? Damn it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll get you. <laughs> German sausage, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wouldn't mind a bit of sausage. Um, <laughs> But nowadays, Reese and I, because I'm in a, a long-term relationship now, I have been for about, well, nearly five years, um, we don't care about Valentine's Day whatsoever. Um, it's obviously just a commercial money-making scheme that feeds into capitalism and all the other horrible things about our society. Um, so Reese and I don't really buy into that, but it does f happen to fall around the time of year that we sort of call our anniversary. So we always happen to have a sort of celebration around then, but we don't get, we don't care about it. I am that basic bitch who does like Valentine's Day. I'm sorry, guys, but yeah. I do agree with it being commercialised and stuff like that. I'm, I'm in a long-term relationship as well. Um, I think it's five years this year. Um, yeah. And um, I think my partner's, they're okay. They're not too keen on it, but um, I kind of like, well, I like it, but um, I can understand it is, it's kind of commercial, isn't it, and stuff, so, yeah. Each to their own, though. Like, I remember being at drama yeah, school and, and us um, selling, like, wooden roses, and then we put, like, their name on it for them um, so that we could get loads of money to go and see some theatre and, and stuff like that. So I was like, well, if you want to celebrate it and give me loads of money, then that's absolutely fine by me. <laughs> I'll be alone <laughs> just over here selling roses. But I am, um, I've, like my very earliest like um, memory of valentine's day is when i was too young to have any sort of like a relationship and i had two girlfriends at the time um because i'm a player no um <laughs> well because to me they were just friends but obviously to the world um and again toxic masculinity like this being projected onto these young children being like oh you've got to buy valentine's presents you've, you've got you're in the relationship i'm like no they're just my friends but um one of them bought me a bar of Galaxy, one of them bought me a bar of Dairy Milk. And I was like, well, how do I choose out of these, these top-notch chocolates? But um, I've never, <laughs> I've always just seen it as that sort of like, meh, like doesn't it, like it, yeah, if other people want to celebrate it, then that's good for them. I did once when I had um, a partner and I was on tour in Glasgow and we went to the cinema and watched Lego Batman movie and ate some pizza and then, that was lovely. And then we held hands on the street and got called the F word. So um, it was a lovely Valentine's <laughs> Day. Um, 
but I'm not I'm not a lonely bitter old gay being like oh well nobody wants to date me so I hate Valentine's Day I just hate Valentine's Day regardless of whether I'm in a relationship or not I think you should celebrate your love with somebody all the time but if you want to do it yeah, on every once yeah. yeah if you want to do it on that one special day like the rest of society it's a very heteronormative um holiday as well so there's lots of mm. issues but yeah you do you boo <laughs> but yeah um in terms of like relationships then because I guess Valentine's Day can cover like romantic relationships um did you guys feel that when you were younger like dating people and stuff I've got an example of where I felt like everyone was like have, have you not got a girlfriend have you not had sex have you not kissed anyone and then there was sort of the pressure to go out with someone and then when I was going out with my girlfriend I think people were like well have you done anything yet have you kissed have you had sex um have you taken her on a date have you done this why are you acting camp if you're with your girlfriend so it's kind of like even though I've got a girlfriend I still can't win because you're still like you know what I mean I don't know if you guys ever had that you know when you were in relationships when you were a bit younger where there was like the pressure to go out with someone and then when you were going out with someone there was still that pressure if that makes sense I never really had um girlfriends as such like apart from when I was very young and had two um but then when I grew up and was sort of understood who I was and other people understood who I was and made me feel bad about it I would always use I've said this on our podcast I'd use um my one of my really close friends and be like I fancy her so like I'm just and I've asked her out every year and she said no because I knew that she'd say no so um there was I suppose it's that that um pressure of, of having to like fit in to the norm isn't it um and that, mm. that's something that later on in life the queers have to kind of like unravel all, all of that like trauma that they kind of went through because they're tr- forcing themselves to try and fit in um yeah I felt that pressure but I, I had my get out clause which was I fancy my best friend so that's how I dealt with it god yeah I was I was very I was sexually active very young I think and it, it was I don't think it was very uncommon what was going I was now thinking back as a you know a trans queer adult I'm like oh I was trying so hard to play a role that really like, I played it excessively I, I was you know I had older boyfriends and uh, I was very much pressured into a lot of, you know, sexual stuff. There was loads of like games and expectations and rumours and high school was just (laughs) hellish. You know, my, my dad, I think, said to me like on my 15th, 16th birthday, like had this big talk about if I got pregnant and that was, that was the highest expectation I could have that I was going to get pregnant at 16 and and that would and that would be my life um so Valentine's Day and all of that was if it felt very going through the motions I think that part of my life I was I I was living under the guise of this this character that I'd created to kind of get through it um but the but the romance is the thing that I missed, you know. I didn't I didn't know that, you know, until I started dating queer people or you know, all of that. I I suddenly looked back and was like, oh shit, is that what sex is meant to be like? Is that what romance is meant to feel like? Is that what a crush is meant to feel like? The whole time, like <laughs> <laughs> you gotta go. Well, how many years have I wasted? But they're not they're not wasted. It's just you do what you've got to do to get through. Um, 
and Essex is a very heteronormative place where like you know, I was out in the snow in high heels, a mini skirt and extensions down to my arse that were the wrong colour and, and white Maybelline, what is it, Dream Matte Mousse. Like, <laughs> like, it, was a, it was a place to be. Um, <laughs> so it took me probably a lot longer than most people to, yeah, to get out of that place. Um, mm. The only way is Essex is very much where I live. <laughs> This is something a lot of pe queer people do, and um, ha gay people specifically. Spent a lot of my teenage years saying I was bisexual, um, just because I think that's more palatable. I think that's why I used to say it, um, and that's me not s saying that I'm not saying I'm not necessarily pansexual in some way now, but I wouldn't use the term bisexual now for myself because. You know, it just doesn't fit for me. It's a uh, that I, yeah. In terms of trying to fit in, yeah, I was definitely dating girls, and and also I think because in school there's always this thing of oh, who fancies who all the time. So I think I would I would always pick someone who I knew would be you know would be all right with it and like would probably not actually want to do anything <laughs> and it was all very very unsexual all of my dating like I think the most I ever really did with a girl was like a peck like like and we held hands like it's like you know it was all there yeah, I'm back it was all very unsexual all very innocent and um, so I think that you know, it was just literally, I think, firstly, I wanted to fit in. And secondly, I think I quite liked the attention if I was in a relationship, because there is there was always like a buzz around it, wasn't there, of like, oh, look, there comes the couple or whatever. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? It's like they're in a relationship. Oh, I think, oh, my God. That's so you remember bad. the MSN, I like putting someone in the MS, people put MSN names and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, and like, yeah, putting it in your bloody, oh my God, and Facebook status, blah, is in a relationship with blah, oh my God. That is I think so I used funny. to pretend, I think I used to pretend and then everyone, so to get the attention, like, oh, who is it and stuff like that, and then I put it on the MSN name, put question mark, heart, heart or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> I keep them guessing. Yeah, no, but I think that is a huge part of it. I'm back. It's a huge part of it that I haven't actually thought about before is like how it was literally just to get attention and probably to get and to probably to distract away yeah. from the, your queerness, but mm -hmm. also to, to get that attention anyway, I guess, maybe. Yeah. To be to be very performatively and publicly in a relationship, in a heteronormative relationship. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, and it is a common thing, I think, for a lot of queer people. Have you guys got anything to yeah. add, or or do you want to move on to favourite rom-coms, if you've got any? <laughs> I would say, I'm back, here I go, la la la. Um, my favourite rom-com is uh, probably Bridesmaids. Mine too! Um, oh my god, I sound basic you call again. That <laughs> What's that? Yeah, but it's so basic, but the... the, the Oh God, I don't know. Yeah, it is very basic, but um, it, I think it is like, for me growing up is that 
that there's the women that are a bit weird they're weirdos a lot of them and they act <laughs> weird and they're so that so you've got the whole you've got the whole like they're kind of losers as well a lot of them like they're failures like especially the main characters so I guess that there's something there in terms of a queer person and I think that's why that film is popular with queers is because you've got those characters there that are so and an e-phrase but um I was going to say and it kind of focuses on like well female friendship and friendship which is what mm. you said that you did with Valentine's Day wasn't it Carrot so yeah, yeah I, I used to love um I was obsessed with very old films when I was younger I mean still I guess less so now even that, but because it's always just kind of in my my memory I loved some like a hot um a big Pretty Woman fan, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, but I think Some Like It Hot was the one. Now, looking back, I'm like, <laughs> the, <laughs> the cross-dressing was singing to me. Um, <laughs> great film. And Marilyn Monroe. I mean, there was a lot in that film to, to enjoy. Well, I, um, I read a fact, sorry to interrupt, but do you know about that film? Yeah. I read a fact, I don't know if it's true, that the reason why it was in black and white was because um, the men were in drag in it and then it would have got banned if it was in colour because it would show more of them being in drag. But I don't, I think that's, I don't know whether it's confirmed, but sorry. <laughs> that's interesting. I love, no, I love facts. I love facts. Yeah, that's really interesting. I can believe that though, because there's loads of, there was loads of censorship things with colour, to do with films being in colour. I don't know too much about it, but God, yeah. I am, um, I enjoy, quite problematic film I like Miss Congeniality like Miss Congeniality is my go-to film but it's like perpetuates that like stereotype of you need to be that like done up prima donna like a beauty pageant to be an attractive female oh she's not attractive until she's had this makeover but I do love a makeover montage like and I I enjoy um what men want which again is is <laughs> is a little bit problematic because it's like why why should we be seeing it from the men's perspective? But um, but yeah, I like I enjoy those. I enjoy Miss Congeniality is just my my favourite film in the whole entire world. So, have you guys honorable seen honorable mention um... while we're here? Yeah, just quickly honorable mention because uh, we're talking about growing up and that sort of thing. Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging. <laughs> that is a good one. Thought about that. Oh god! Yeah, Twilight. That's got to be a favorite. Twilight. Oh, I was going to mention Twilight in a minute, actually, and link it on with body image. So I can, I'm sure you can see where that's going to go. <laughs> oh, I'm god. such a ball buster. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ruining everyone's favorite film. <laughs> um, what's what's the um, Enchanted? Oh yeah, Enchanted is a good one because it like dismantles that stereotype of the Disney fairy tale. Which doesn't exist. It's not true. <laughs> so stop singing about it. No, um, I like that film. It's, I love. I love a musical. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, because we mentioned Twilight, I was just going to um, say about that and link it on with body image kind of stuff. Um, so actually, first, I wanted to say, have you guys seen any like queer rom coms? So I know there's quite a few, but I know. Um, they're not that great at the minute, are they? Because they're quite like, you know, um, there's no like trans characters or it's mainly white 
you know, cis. Mm. The one, one, one film that um, is, is stunning, and it was a play originally, and then it got turned into a film, is Beautiful Thing by Jonathan Harvey. Mm. Um, it's about two um, young boys um, who live in like a, a block of flats in London um, in the 90s. And it's like a coming of age sort of story about them not only finding like coming of age and finding themselves, but then also falling in love with each other. Um, it was one of the first queer like plays I read. Um, it really helped me, but it is just a really stunning, like really well written and really quite a beautiful story. So definitely check that film out on and, and read the play as well. That's yeah, that's a nice one. With um, Twilight, then I was saying when I remember watching that and that was being obviously we were all teenagers at the time like that was the main thing wasn't it um so I was going to say about obviously I had a bit of a crush on Jacob even though I'm going to slag it off in a minute um I feel like for me anyway it might not apply to other people I kind of felt like at the time I was like oh is this what is means to be attractive you know like being ripped and stuff which isn't a bad thing but obviously if there's only like one attractive ideal um and obviously he cut his hair to be attractive and stuff like that that's my interpretation. So I was a bit like feeling a bit like, oh yeah, this is a bit shit, isn't it really? And there's not much representation. Um, so I don't know what you guys thought about Twilight in that sense. Obviously I could just not read into it and just enjoy it for what it is, which I did a bit with Jacob. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I don't know what you guys think about Twilight and in, in moving it on to like body image sort of. I think I, I had the Twilight movies and I, I think I found it, I can like enjoy a rom-com and have a laugh, but there's absolutely no representation of black bodies, let alone black queer bodies, let alone black trans bodies, in any kind of love narrative, um, unless it's harrowing. Um, so I just, I'm so, I felt so disconnected. I love, I was kind of like an emo kid and like, I was always kind of trying to go down an alternative route without going down the alternative route. Um, there was just no, I just didn't see myself anywhere. So a lot of my uh, hang-ups with Twilight and body image and everything is is that it's so white and then they have this idea that vampires being white like, is so far detached from who I am that it, it would just cause so much um, just grief. Is it, 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 it just, tells you that nothing about you know your blackness or your body is beautiful and that you have to be this pale thin brooding person to be attractive seen as attractive in any any kind of society but I got sucked in in, in the same way that I wanted to kind of be on the trends of everything and, and you know know what's going on and convince myself that I had a crush on what was the same Edward Cullen I can forgive Kristen Stewart because she was in that she's in this film lately that I liked um, it's still a bit problematic, but I still quite liked it. Um, Happiest Season. Oh, I need to see that. Yeah, I haven't seen yeah. that. It's really interesting. Kristen Stewart was this, like, I don't know, heteronormative icon, I guess. Like, the the, mm. the like the equivalent of, like, Fifty Shades of Grey. What, what's her name? And then she, as soon as she's turned queer, like, it's... Well, not as soon as she's turned, but, come, I guess, public and more visible. <laughs> um now you did mention Fifty Shades of Grey. There is like a queerish version on Netflix of that um, called Bonding. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, I've been watching it. We started watching it yesterday, weirdly enough. Bonding. Is it good? It's nothing like Fifty Shades of Grey. 
<laughs> but it's like it's it's a queer version, but better. But yeah, nothing like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun, and we're enjoying it. That's all I said. It's really annoying when it freezes and I don't have anything interesting to say. <laughs> is it because is it because you um you think that you look like the main character? I was gonna just say oh, that, but is. I don't think I know you well enough. <laughs> I wish. He's so cute, and his hairline is so much better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and you and Cyro could start a company together. Sorry, I froze. I don't have anything to say. <laughs> We're talking about Edward, Edward Cullen anyway, so I don't know if anyone else wanted to say anything more yeah. about Twilight before we leave it to rest for good. I, I'm... Well, yeah, Twilight's just a load of bollocks, isn't it? I'm allowed to swear on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> say whatever you like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it, yeah, the only thing I say is that it's just it followed, it followed and follows sort of the conventions of like, you know, Hollywood blockbuster films, which is these incredibly like stereotypically attractive people um, that are clearly that, that are dehydrated because the only way you're going to get abs that like amazing is. And I even had to, um, something that they did with Edward Cullen is they actually had to like um, shade on his abs, like contour. Like we do with our faces and everything, they actually had to put it onto him so that his abs looked more defined because he wasn't he wasn't fit enough. Um, and so I think any any anyone that's like perpetuating that sort of stereotype is is a bit of, is, is a bit of a problem. But it's you know we're, we're slowly slowly chipping away at it. But, um, but there's, mm. there's films still like that now. Yeah. Um. Well, I was before we move on to the last point, because um, I'm conscious of time, um, I just wanted to pick you up on your point, Carrot, that I saw you share on Twitter. Um, do you know about um, being sexy, be, sexy being subjective um, in terms of like drag race and stuff? Um, so could you sort of elaborate on that? And then if people could say their thoughts and then we're nearly done. <laughs> Sexiness being subjective, yeah. Um, I missed a bit of what you said there, but I think I get the general gist. The tweet yeah. I did um, was in relation to Ginny Lemon on uh, Drag Race UK, where uh, they had this whole storyline with Ginny and Bimini talking about being, oh, Ginny and Bimini, um, talking about being non-binary in their journeys. Um, and then uh, RuPaul came in and was like, um, oh, why don't you try and be sexy? And Ginny was like, uh, I hate my body. I've never felt sexy in myself. And then was like, okay, I'm going to try it. And the way that they tried it was to put on padding, like hip pads, a breastplate and a wig. And then when they went out on the stage, the judges are like, oh my God, well done for trying to be sexy and for loving yourself. And it's almost like, um, that is suddenly like that's the gold standard of sexiness is this like curvaceous feminine long haired like passing person when that is not sexy to me personally and I don't think it's sexy to everyone I don't I think sexiness is completely subjective to to whoever and I think sexiness comes from the belief that you are sexy and a lot of the time and uh, the confidence behind that. So if you want to wear a completely loose fitting outfit, but you feel sexy as fuck in it, 
that's totally fine. You can still wear that and feel sexy and it doesn't really matter. The thoughts got a bit confused in my head there, but you get the gist. Sexiness is subjective, whether you feel it or whether you're looking at it. Either way, what they found sexy, I don't. What I find sexy, they probably don't. So it's kind of like, who's the winner? No one. <laughs> um, I just, um, if anyone could link in, add to what Carrot said or linking in with their own like style, individual styles and stuff about what's attractiveness like, you know, when it comes to your performing and stuff. I know it's kind of a, a long winded thing, but I can edit it or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I loved, I loved what Carrot um, posted. Um, it's very interesting because the beautiful thing about that episode was Ginny and Bimini having a conversation about being non-binary and Ginny explaining yellow and like that was Rue came in said nothing like has said nothing about them being non-binary has not mentioned anything came in and went why don't you try hips a breastplate and a wig it's very and 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 that and the editors trying to make that an arc like that's not a queer arc that's a heteronormative arc that you're trying to place and go oh now they've they've achieved this um it, yeah it's, it's very strange I think yeah the, the confidence you exude on on stage and the creation of your of yourself visually um I, I feel very sexy on stage I think I that drops a lot when I come off but that's more to do with just being a bit awkward <laughs> um but you're you're able to to celebrate the things that maybe you felt um in your everyday life were to be hidden or or you felt a bit of shame about um I, I think when I'm on stage as Syro um and I've got my chest out and my legs out I, I feel absolutely empowered in that place and my body feels completely my, my own because you're having ownership over what over everything to do within that act and that's the beauty of queer art um yeah I don't know if that's just a really long-winded <laughs> uh, that's really good I am um, I, I think there's lots of we know that there's lots of issues with uh drug race gatekeeping things um and yeah it does like perpetuate that stereotype of this is what drag is like and drag isn't a cookie cutter as we as we know from from working in it it's not this is how to be a successful drag queen but people watching that will see it and be like well yeah that's why I love the fact that Ginny Lemon was on there because she's so not like stereotypically um what RuPaul's Drag Race is that it's it was amazing to see her on there. Um, I, I think sex, like we've said, sexiness comes from confidence. Confidence is sexy, um, and I do think that like that comes from exploration. So the fact that Ginny was saying that she's not um, never felt sexy in her body, so it's like we'll try something. I don't think that it was like done up in the right way, and it was more so you need to put hips on and and boobs to feel sexy. It's like maybe it could help you feel sexy but I think we all saw how uncomfortable she looked on the on the stage but that personally that's what like I've I've done like with my with my drag it's like we've spoken about it on the podcast that drag is about empowering the performer more so than anything else like from like its roots um and yeah like 
you just like trying different things with your makeup, with your hair, with your, your, your clothes, with everything. It's like, yeah, Cyrus saying you have ownership over it and being able to have that freedom to explore is what a lot of drag artists, but that's what I found within my drag is having that freedom to explore, not just me as Flick, but me as John as well. It's helped the both feel much sexier. Snack. <laughs> Snack. Yeah, they tie into each other, don't they? Hmm, definitely. Yeah. Um, so um, thank you guys. Um, I just before we finish, then I just wanted to because we haven't had a chance to talk about your acts or anything or performing. I know we're at the end now, but if you could just give us, um, if you could just tell us um, an example of like when you felt good on stage or an act that you feel good doing. Um, I guess linking in with kind of what we've been talking about. I'll go first while you have a think. Um, basically, I did. Um, I don't know if you've all seen Bridget Jones. I sort of um, stripped away from the clothes that other people were trying to make me wear. And then in the end, I was just wearing like the bunny outfit because um, obviously they sort of make fun of her. They're like, oh, you're a tart and stuff. But I kind of like sort of celebrate being a tart in it and sort of um, sort of this is what I want to wear. This is what I feel sexy in all my curves out and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, that's my example. Um, over to you guys to finish us off. <laughs> um, lots oh, yeah. of my as you know, are political <laughs> and usually not the, the sexiness in it. I think Cyro is sexy, um, but there's also a lot of rage and, and stuff. But I did do an act at the Gale um, for the Beyonce um, Black is King night uh, that why she was hosting. And it was really good actually having a brief of Beyonce because I'm then having to put a completely different element on Cyro. And I did an act to um, Freedom, which is kind of expected of me. Um, and then it crossed over into this talk that Beyonce gave to the 2020 graduating year um, and ended on Brown Skin Girl. It was a really dance heavy piece. Uh, I got to do like a top move uh, on the floor, which made me feel very sexy because I didn't look, I didn't just fall on my face. Um, but then when Brown Skin Girl um, came on, I invited um, the rest of the drag performers, um, like Black Pepper, um, Why She. I'm not sure if Soraya came on, but and I and I want to, and I'll continue to do that in other acts to come and dance around me. So it was a celebration of brown skin women, um, and that was I think that's a really joyous place to be, um, just showing off all the melanin and celebrating it with other beautiful drag performers. Oh, lovely. Mm. <laughs> um, well, Flick, the character of Flick is uh, um, eternally looking for someone to love her, <laughs> essentially. Um, so a lot of like the pieces are, are like revolve around that. Yeah, I, I just find like there's something about putting the tights on for me that I, makes me feel really sexy. I love wearing the tights because it just, it makes my legs look amazing. Like, it just, uh, I just, yeah, I love it. I feel very empowered when I'm um, like flick um, and that's in any sort of silhouette that I decide to have. Um, but yeah, just there's something transformative about putting those tights on and then just like looking at myself in the mirror yeah but um no yeah I, I she she is not necessarily like a sexual person but i feel very sexy as her and i think that exudes onto um onto everyone else really hmm. Damn. 
All right, me. Uh, I uh, um, carrot. Yes. Well, I guess what you like, what you say, Flick. Um, in carrot has really helped me to discover my sexuality, as it were. Not that I didn't have sex before, but like discover that I am an attractive person to people. Um, definitely, because wearing drag forces you to look at your body and look at how you want to present your body, I think, putting on drag. And I've found like there are bits about myself that I really like and I want to show off. And I think that's really cool. Um, but in terms of an, a specific act where it's been a real moment of like, uh, this is what I love. Um, one that comes to mind is uh, I performed at the Underbelly at an Art of Drag showcase thing um, where I did a group thing where I got four of my friends and my boyfriend to dress up in banana costumes and be my backing dancers. And uh, we sang, what did we do? We did We Are Golden by Mika. And I was wearing this gold bodysuit that I'd like rhinestoned and these gold platform shoes and had these banana backing dancers and we'd rehearsed this whole routine and there was golden confetti cannons and I'm just living my full like arena, like I'm performing at Wembley fantasy. And I remember thinking, this is what I want my drag to be. It's this sense of like, it's camp, it's silly. You have no idea what the fuck you're watching, but you love it. It's um, bright, it's fun, it's euphoric. Um, but it's also through just being so joyful and queer and weird, it has that sort of political edge to it. I find, I find silliness. And that's when I kind of started to realize what I wanted to do with my dream. Silliness can be a really powerful political tool, um, I think. And, uh, and usurping people's expectations and um, surprising people and making people like confused is, a, a powerful thing and uh, that performance really helped me to realize that doing that with my friends in the banana costumes I still to this day have no idea where the idea came from or why <laughs> I did it they all sound fabulous I, I, hopefully I'll see them on stage at some point next year or um, you guys perform it but yeah I do agree with like silliness and because um, I kind of do that in my acts like challenge like do political stuff but in a silly way and challenge what people think is attractive and stuff because um, I guess if you've been told your whole life what's attractive and what's not and, and stuff like that but um but yeah thank you guys for coming on today um, and taking the time I'm sure the listeners will really love this episode is there any last words you'd like to shout out to the listeners before we go I just want to say be supportive like that's is, when you're supporting people that's when they become the best of themselves so be supportive and be nice <laughs> <laughs> I would like to thank today's guests, Carrot, Syro and Flick, for coming on to this podcast. If you want to catch more of this trio, then check them out on Instagram at WeFreeQueers. Thank you for listening to Lox LaRue's Locker Room. We'll see you soon. And make sure to follow me on Instagram at Lox LaRue. Bye!
going out with this girl at primary school and then I think I met this girl at the pool that I liked so I asked her out as well but the next time we went to the pool guess who was both they were both there so I think in order to get out of it I think I said to my girlfriend at school I was like oh I think she's made me go out with with her and stuff and she thinks we're going out so really ashamed of my 10 year old self (laughs) (laughs) you're a player (laughs) I know I might cut that bit out of the episode because I don't want people to think yeah that I'm a player (laughs) 